This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. Welcome in. Uh, it is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 591. My name is Zach Schaumler. That felt weird, by the way. I did the intro weird today. I had a rhythm I do every episode. I've done it for, again, 591 episodes. Somehow that came out all backwards. I have no idea. It's a Saturday. Welcome in Saturday night. Um, if you want to learn about me, I want to tell you my mental health is directly correlated with how many episodes I can put out during a week. If there's lots of episodes coming out, Zach is doing good. If there's very few episodes coming out, you got to realize Zach is doing bad. Guess what? If I can hit all my goals this week, starting on Saturday, Sunday, uh, that Sunday will be Monday's episode, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, which we have no problem. We've been doing five episodes a week, no problem. I've been really, really trying to get a Saturday episode done about college football every week. It's a lot. Six episodes a week is quite a difference from five episodes a week. It's a lot of work. I've been sick. I've had people visiting. It's been a lot of stuff going on. Finally, hallelujah. We're doing a Saturday episode. Welcome in. Let's talk about college football week five. I hope you're doing great. Uh, I want to start by talking about USC Colorado. USC beat Colorado 48 to 41 during college football week five. I want to be very clear. The final score 48 to 41 will make it sound like this was an incredible back and forth game. No, this wasn't Ole Miss LSU. This was a game where USC had a big lead for the entire football game. It was 34 to 14 at halftime, then 41 to 14, then 48 to 21. Uh, Colorado kind of came back in the fourth quarter. They made it interesting. They got a touchdown with a minute 43 left to make it 48 to 41. They nearly had a comeback, but mostly, let's be clear, this was USC dominating for the entire football game. And uh, early on, Colorado made a lot of what I would call small mistakes that add up very quickly. You know, they had an interception, a blocked punt. Both of those allowed USC to have the ball with great field position two times early on in that football game. The little stuff was killing Colorado. An illegal substitution on defense, having 12 men on the field, uh, cutting routes short of the first down marker where the quarterback throws the ball at the sticks. The receiver cut his route short, so they're not on the same page. It would have not have mattered anyway because you can't cut your route short on third and eight. You got to run to nine, come back to eight, catch the ball at the first down marker. You can't cut your route short at seven yards on third and eight. Um, on the interception, Shadur Sanders threw. Receiver broke in. Shadur Sanders expected him to break out. He threw with anticipation outside. Ball was outside. Receiver went inside. Easy interception for the defense. Um, stuff like that. It's a problem. And we saw, I think, remember Colorado, uh, Joel Klatt during the broadcast called them kind of an experiment. That's not far off. Remember, they have a bunch of transfers. It's not a shock uh, for them to be struggling against Oregon and USC these last two games. Um what is surprising to me is a horrible execution. We saw week one against TCU. I was, I mean, I could not believe the level of execution from Colorado against TCU. That has appeared to fall off a cliff. I don't know what's going on. Um, like there was a punt that got blocked for Colorado. I have no idea what was happening. Their punter, who's not a rugby style punter, did like a rugby style mover. He's going to run with the ball. I don't know if it was a fake that went badly and got called off. He punted the last minute. I have no idea what was going on. But these little mistakes really cost Colorado a lot. And, I mean, they lost by a touchdown in a game that, 
for most of it was a blowout. It makes you wonder if they got those little things right. I mean, it really is clear that Colorado is close. And I'm glad that Colorado put 41 points on the board because they made that final score respectable. And that's going to help them in recruiting. I like Colorado. I want to be very clear. I love Deion Sanders. I love what he's doing. I think eventually he's going to build a national championship winning program. I, I know that's Maybe crazy to say right now, five games into the year, he just got obliterated by Oregon, then USC. But I very strongly believe in what Dion is doing in Colorado. And now in recruiting, you can say, look, we are seven points behind USC. Like, we are close to getting what we want done. We need some more players. It's going to help them saying, look, we're a couple players away. You want to come to Colorado? You want to help us win? Really what they need is big boys. They need linemen. For next year... They got to hit the transfer portal hard. Find offensive and defensive linemen, guys who are big, guys who can move a lot of weight uh, and move bodies. They need guys up front. That's a really big problem right now for Colorado. Um, shout out to Omarion Miller. Omarion Miller is a true freshman receiver. He had seven catches for 196 yards and a touchdown. Like, Colorado is loaded when it comes to corners and receivers and running backs. They need linemen. That's the problem. But they've got... A ton of ridiculously good young dudes, freshmen, freshmen making massive plays, having multiple touchdowns, having 100-yard games. I mean, the youth at the skill position players for Colorado is unbelievable, and they are making plays. Omarion Miller, again, seven catches, 196 yards, and a touchdown. Now, if you look at the scoreboard the last two weeks, Colorado's given up 90 points in the last two games. That's not great. But I want to offer some perspective here. You're playing Oregon and USC, two of the best offenses in college football. And when you're playing USC and Caleb Williams, we always knew this was going to have to be a shootout. If Colorado was going to win this football game, Caleb Williams is not going to not score. Caleb Williams is going to score a ton of points. You know that. Your offense has to give your defense run support. Unfortunately, really the problem in this game, I don't really have energy to blame the defense. You're playing... The best quarterback in college football by a mile. You give up 48 points. That's not a shock. What's frustrating to me is the little lack of execution moments on Colorado's offense. That's the big problem. That is why this game was not more competitive and, and even closer. And, and it was in the end, I guess. But I think that was a winnable game for Colorado where they made a lot of early mistakes on offense that cost them big time. Now, one thing that I can't help but recognize. You lose by a touchdown late. To USC. Again, it was 34-14 at halftime. I'm not trying to make this sound like Colorado was in the game the whole time. But they had a little comeback. They made it close. And when you lose by a touchdown to USC and your safety, Shiloh Sanders, has a lacerated kid kidney, isn't playing. But on top of that, the best player in all of, Col in all of Colorado's program is Travis Hunter, their receiver, their defensive back. He's their number one receiver and their number one corner. He's still not playing because of a cheap shot he took from Nick Blackburn in that Colorado State game. It's a shame. I mean, I, I really, I, I just have so little respect for Nick Blackburn. That, that play has derailed, I think, a lot of Colorado's season. I, I really can't help but wonder, like, what would have happened if Travis Hunter hadn't been knocked out of the game on the dirtiest hit I've seen all year at any level of football? Does what, what happens? How, how much of a difference does that make for Colorado in this football game? Could they have maybe... I, see, I don't want to play that game. Could they have maybe beat USC? But certainly it would have helped. And uh, I still... 
I'm not a very hateful guy. I, I really like most people. Honestly, Nick Blackman, if you want to come on the show, I'd love to talk to you. And maybe you're a decent human being who made a mistake. And I've, we've all made dumb mistakes. But I, I have so little respect for Nick Blackburn. I, I just, you know. And the reality, though, is that if you played rec basketball with me, I was the dirtiest player ever. So maybe I'm a hypocrite. I have no idea. I'm trying to be fair. But it is certainly very frustrating to watch Travis Hunter on the sideline in a game where you're like, oh, they could use him so much. And uh, Nick Blackburn, man, dirtiest play I have seen uh, at any level of football in a long time. That hit on Travis Hunter, that Colorado State game, look it up if you haven't seen it. My goodness. Now, let's talk about USC quarterback Caleb Williams. I said week one or two that, you know, I said, hey, UNC quarterback, North Carolina quarterback, Drake May should be in conversation for the number one pick. I said, look, the team with the number one pick in the NFL next year should at least have the conversation. Hey, do you get a guy who resembles Justin Herbert quite a bit at North Carolina? Um, I want to be very clear. That was nonsense. That was stupid. That was dumb. I think I was just overthinking it, right? I'm so afraid of missing out on the next Justin Herbert that it's like, no, appreciate the big, incredible, shiny object right in front of you. Caleb Williams is unbelievable. His ability to run, his ability to extend plays, he's accurate, he's smart. Um, Frankly, Caleb Williams can do stuff that a lot of NFL quarterbacks can't do. I mean, there was a line from Joel Clady said, I think Caleb Williams would make like 18 NFL teams better on Sunday. He's not far off. I mean, Caleb Williams really is that good. And... I, you know, people talked about Trevor Lawrence as the best quarterback prospect in a long time, like a generational talent. And I was like, I, I always hated that because I thought Joe Burrow was a way better quarterback prospect than Trevor Lawrence. Like, Joe Burrow had the best year we've ever seen from a college quarterback, literally ever. And people are like, oh, Trevor Lawrence, generational prospect. I'm like, did you forget about Joe Burrow? But Caleb Williams is the guy I'm willing to pound the table and say, this is a, the best quarterback we've seen maybe ever coming out of college. I mean, he, he gets compared to Patrick Mahomes all the time. Uh, I don't want to steal everything Joel Klatt said. I hate that that's happening. But, um, you know, he is way ahead of where Mahomes was. And uh, in this game, Caleb Williams was 30 for 40 passing at 403 yards, six touchdowns. He got greedy on a deep ball, rolling to his right, trying to make a throw down the sideline. Had a guy open early but was late to it. And, again, got greedy. That ball got picked off. So six touchdowns, one interception in on this game for Caleb Williams I think there's a legitimate conversation whether Caleb Williams should win the Heisman Trophy for a second time. He won last year. Can he win back-to-back years? I know that that's controversial, but the question really has to be, is he the best player in college football? Yes. Who does the Heisman Trophy get awarded to? It's supposed to be the best player in college football, correct? If he was last year, man, Caleb Williams is better this year than he was last year. He's got 25, 24 touchdowns in five games. He's unbelievable. He's playing better than last year. Like as a quarterback on a, on a, when it comes to X's and O's on a, on a level, he's playing better this year than he did last year and producing more. Especially if Caleb Williams can beat Notre Dame, beat Washington, beat Oregon, go to the college football playoffs. I mean, if they can make a deep run for USC, I think you have to give the, the Heisman Trophy to Caleb Williams for a second year in a row. I know that's unheard of, but I hate when sports writers contradict themselves and come up with reasons not to give a player an award I think they're deserving of. And right now, Caleb Williams, name a better quarterback in college football. 
Name a more impactful player in college football. If he was the best guy last year, how is he not still the best player in college football? It makes no sense. It's like when, you know, LeBron James was kind of snubbed year in and year out as the NFL, as the NBA, excuse me, NBA MVP. It's like, if he was the best player last year, what changed? And, and what's going to change for the next couple of years? I mean, it's, it's weird to me. I kind of hate that, that we always are looking for reasons not to give people the award rather than acknowledging, hey, Caleb Williams is special. And I have no problem giving him the Heisman Trophy two years in a row. Notre Dame beat Duke 21 to 14, and it was a really fun game. And I watched this game. It was so much fun. I was thinking about, there's a guy on Patreon, Nick Flames, who said, uh, he wrote in a little while ago, hoping that maybe Duke could crack the top 10 uh, rankings in college football this year. I said, it's a long shot, but man, Duke, they almost got Notre Dame. I sent him a message with like two minutes left. And then, uh, of course, um, Notre Dame went on to win with, you know, they had a touchdown with 32 seconds left. What happened in this football game, Notre Dame got the ball down 13 to 14 on their own five yard line, with two minutes and 35 seconds left. They actually lost yardage. So not only did they go 95 yards for a touchdown, technically they went 97, 96. I mean, they were on they were inside their own three-yard line after a, a penalty. They did get help on their final drive from two pass interference penalties on Duke. But they had a crazy long drive, over 90 yards, 95 yards, if you want to call it exactly that, for the game-winning touchdown. The biggest play on that drive was on a 4th and 16 where... Sam Hartman ran for a first down, and you're like, I, I remember thinking, like, Sam Hartman's around the line of scrimmage, hovering around, trying to decide if he's going to keep looking for somewhere to throw downfield or take off, and as he took off, I was like, oh, no, he's not going to get it, and then it, it, as the camera pans, because that's what I hate about watching uh, on TV, by the way, the camera's so tight, you can't really tell what's happening around the ball very well. As the camera pans right, you're like, oh, my God, he's got space. He's got space. He's going to get it. He runs for the first down. It was incredible. Um, that was the the catalyst later on. They would run for uh, a long touchdown to win the game. Duke had a shot uh, to respond. Um, you know, first of all, it was a horrible loss because with 12 seconds left in the game, Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, um, got hurt. A defender rolled up on his ankle. He was in a lot of pain. I really worry for, for Duke. Uh, quarterback Riley Leonard. I worry that's a broken ankle. Like, it's very rare to see a quarterback writhing in pain and, and as openly like grimacing and, and yelling and not happy with what was going on. Um, that didn't look like a sprained ankle to me, so I worry that Riley Leonard might be out for a significant amount of time. But I, I do want to offer. I had a thought. It was fourth and six for Duke uh, on the earth, on the thirty three yard line going in, so they are. Deep in Notre Dame territory, there's two minutes and 35 seconds left. I wanted Duke to go for it on fourth and six. Like, you're deep in their territory. Go for it. Try to get that first down and end the game on your terms. And instead, they punted it away. Now, the punt was great. The punt went inside the five-yard line. That was, by the way, punted by their quarterback, Riley Leonard. But I just felt like, hey, fourth and six on the 33-yard line going in, in a massive game where you've got a one-point lead against Notre Dame, I would have liked to see Duke go for it there rather than punt the ball away. Uh, you know, their defense was playing great. I understand putting the ball in their defense's hands, but, man, I, I just would rather go down swinging, taking a risk there. It's not like the Chargers head coach, Brandon Staley, deep on his own 24-yard line uh, on fourth down. No, no, this is—you're in their territory. You are—you have the lead— 
And if you get a first down, you could put the game away, and instead they punted it away, and it cost them. Notre Dame had a huge drive and got the game-winning touchdown. Again, I, I, I do want to just share my concern for Duke quarterback Riley Leonard. If I've said Duke when I met Notre Dame or vice versa, I hope you know what I mean. Riley Leonard is a, Notre, is a Duke quarterback. See, I almost did it there. Sam Hartman is a Notre Dame quarterback. Notre Dame won. They beat Duke. And uh, it's tough. This loss all around. I, I just Nick Flames, you're out there. Your quarterback is hurt. You lost to Notre Dame at the very final moments. That's got to be painful. Now, we did recognize a problem with Notre Dame in this football game. Notre Dame was getting eaten alive by Duke blitzing. And when a defense blitzes a quarterback, they send six, seven guys after the quarterback, five, six, whatever, extra defenders after the quarterback. That's not a bad thing. It means you got better matchups outside. Now, what you have to do is recognize the blitz as a quarterback. And some systems have a hot route where you'll change the play. Some systems just have a built-in hot route on every play call, anticipating a blitz in a key moment like that. Um, Gerard Parker and Sam Hartman, I hope I'm saying G-E-R-A-D, Gerard Parker, I think. That's how you say the Notre Dame offensive coordinator's name. They've got a lot to clean up on film because they had no answer for the Duke blitz. And uh, it caused them a lot of problems. Duke was, sorry, Notre Dame is horrible on third down in this football game. And uh, again, you got to recognize it. Then you got to have the right play call called. But blitzing is not a, a thing you can't overcome. Blitzing is actually great. It means you got one-on-one coverage outside. Often you've got better matchups. Often you've got defenders moving to replace a guy blitzing. Beating a blitz is actually fairly simple once you understand what's happening and can break it down. But we saw that in this football game against Duke, Notre Dame had no answer for how to beat the blitz. And uh, if they don't clean that up, that's going to be a problem moving forward for Notre Dame. Overall, I walked away really impressed. I know that Duke lost, but I walked away impressed with Duke's defense. Their defensive play calls were outstanding. Their execution was awesome. Even though they lost the game, I, I just thought Duke... Tip of the cap, man. What a great performance by them. It was awesome all around. Now, I love, I love, love, love Notre Dame quarterback Sam Hartman. He's a good dude. He's scrappy. He's a great leader. He's all class. I mean, he fits Notre Dame and their culture so well. It's like he was designed in a lab to be a Notre Dame quarterback. I can imagine their fan base just is so full of pride and loves him so much. It's even cool. Like, there are so many little moments. I, I talked about him earlier in the season where they had a big win, and he waited until they were doing their fight song, and their fight song was over to start pumping up his own crowd. That's respectful and classy. Um, in this post-game press conference after beating Duke, Sam Hartman refused to take any credit for the victory. They asked him multiple times about his 4th and 16 run. He deflected. He's like, nah, my defense was amazing. My defense. It's really interesting. Like, he went out of his way to talk about Notre Dame's defense rather than take any credit for himself, even though he made like arguably one of the biggest plays in the entire football game. Um, and then also after the interview, Sam Hartman walks over to the Duke medical tent and is waiting for Riley Leonard to come out to kind of talk to him to say what's up. Uh, he's worried about him, worried about his injury. He said that during the interview. He didn't talk about himself once in the postgame interview. He talked about his defense and he talked about the injured opposing quarterback, Riley Leonard. Classy, man. I love it. Sam Hartman's from the Carolinas. He Played Duke a lot when he played for Wake Forest in the ACC. And uh, I just, I don't know how you can't really like, he looks good. He's like the college football version of Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, he's a classy, awesome dude. I, I just am such a stand for Sam Hartman. I think that means like you're a massive fan. I hope I use that properly. I'm starting to feel old now. Um, 
I love Sam Hartman, man. He's awesome. And I don't know how you can't love him and appreciate him. And by the way, if you love Sam Hartman, there's a Netflix series, QB1, Under the Light. Sam Hartman is on it in high school. You can watch a young high school Sam Hartman uh, playing for Will Greer's father, actually, in high school football. And uh, his journey to become, trying to become a college quarterback, which I would say worked out fairly well. All right, guys, we got to take a break. It's time to pay the bills, but I want to say something different. I always say we got to pay the bills and we cut, but I got to write in on Patreon. I actually don't have it ready, so I'm going to read it on tomorrow's show, but it was fun wordplay. The gist of it was, hey, Zach, why are you always paying Buffalo, right? You're always paying the bills. How about you pay the Miami Dolphins for once? How about you pay the Arizona Cardinals? I like that, that play on words, because I remember I've talked before. The Buffalo Bills have actually, if you think about it, really the most terrifying, there's a fly in here, I hate it. They have the most terrifying mascot of all time. What's more terrifying than your bills, right? You got to pay your rent. You got to pay whatever. So instead of saying we're going to pay the bills today, I guess we could say we got to pay the rent. We got to pay the, I don't know, the credit card bill. We got to hire an editor. So let's get Logan, uh, other friend of mine. Let's hire him as an editor. We got to pay the bills. But instead, instead of saying pay the bills, instead of saying all the other uses we have for money here on Strong Opinion Sports, how about we say we got to pay the Crimson Tide, okay? I don't know, it's college football, maybe pay the Trojans. That feels weird, though, because Trojan has a, a meeting with a different brand, and I don't have a use for Trojans right now. Um, we got to pay the, what's a great mascot? Who do we just talk about? We got to pay the Fighting Irish. I'll be right back. <laughs> Prize Picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks allows you to make an entry based on player projections, and in 60 seconds, you can enter something like Travis Kelsey more than five catches, Tyreek Hill more than 100 yards receiving, and Justin Fields less than 200 yards passing. And if your picks are right, you can win money. Making picks makes games more engaging, and you could turn something like $5 into $50. Prize Picks offers quick and easy deposits. You can even use Apple Pay. And they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. For example, there's a weekly event called Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So put your skills to the test in daily fantasy. Go to prizepicks.com/clns and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com/clns code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. All right, we are back. Um, Kentucky beat Florida 33 to 14 during college football week five. It was pretty wild. Kentucky only completed nine passes during this football game, but they ran for 329 yards. Ray Davis, their running back at 26 carries for 280 yards and three touchdowns. Florida, they were once a top 25 team. Florida was a number 22 team in the country going into this football game. I find it very likely Florida will be unranked now after losing 33 to 14 to Kentucky. And I worry for Florida head coach Billy Napier. I like him. I thought he did a good job at his former job, Louisiana, I believe Lafayette. I don't want to get it wrong. The Raging Cajuns, he was their head coach um, before um, going to Florida. He did a great job there. It's not working at Florida, though. He doesn't look great. And Billy Napier, uh, I'm worried because he's at risk of getting fired. And, uh, man, you know, bad loss to Utah earlier in the season. 
bad loss here to Kentucky. I think the losses are going to keep on coming uh, for Florida, quite frankly. So I am, I find myself worried about Billy Napier, the Florida head coach. Florida's now three and two. Kentucky's five and zero, oh, baby. Kentucky's five and zero. Oh, Missouri's five and zero oh in the ICC, and Georgia's five and zero. Oh. Missouri's was a twenty-three ranked team in the country. Georgia's number one. Kentucky was unranked going into this football game. I would imagine Kentucky will be ranked uh, after this weekend. Really fun stuff. Next weekend, October 7th, Kentucky, after a big win here, goes on the road at Georgia next week. Now, I don't know what to make of Kentucky. Their quarterback, Devin Leary, I don't know. Mark Stoops, their coach, is awesome. I I like what's going on at Kentucky. I'm not sure they can beat Georgia, although Georgia did look shaky now two weeks in a row. Had a couple what I would call sketchy wins in college football. They barely beat Auburn, I believe 27-20 to this week. I think Georgia's vulnerable. And Kentucky looks really good. So, I man, I, I'm not saying Kentucky's going to beat Georgia. I, in fact, I think they're not going to. But their record's great. They've been playing really good football. They just dominated Florida up front. It's going to be interesting. Next week, Kentucky and Georgia, I find a game to circle on the calendar. Just kind of a, huh, a halftime we'll check in. If it's close, maybe we'll watch the second half of that football game. I just, I, you know, actually... That's not, I don't like that policy. I want to watch it from the whole, I, I, I don't like watching a game like partway through it and, and checking in. Um, that's, that's a game maybe I watch early and we'll see, we'll see at halftime. If it's still close, I'll keep watching probably is the best way to, best policy there. Um, but I hate when, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, it's painful to me. Like I watched the South Carolina, Georgia game from the beginning and it was a great first half. The second half, Georgia pulled away. And I was less interested. I'm like, man, I, I wish that's the kind of game where you just roll the dice. You, you, I watch so many football games every weekend, right? I watch like five games on a Saturday, five games on a Sunday. I feel this burden every time I'm watching a football game. I'm like, oh, I could be watching a different game that might be more valuable to the show. You're always rolling the dice and hoping you're right. But there's nothing like watching a game live where you're not sure what's going to happen. This game I'm about to talk about next really gave me that feeling. The wildest game during college football week five, was number 20 Ole Miss beating number 13 LSU. Ole Miss won 55-49. to I just want to give a tip of the cap. This game was incredible. It was so much fun. Both teams had seven touchdowns. It was back and forth and back and forth. Literally, the game came down to the final play with five seconds left. LSU threw the ball into the end zone. Ball got knocked to the ground. Um, you know, Ole Miss got the ball in this football game down uh 49 to 47, two minutes and 18 seconds left on their own 12-yard line. They drove 88 yards for the go-ahead, ultimately game-winning touchdown. But then LSU gets the ball, 39 seconds left. They drive down inside the red zone, make it interesting. Again, they threw the ball to the end zone on the final play of the game. I was just biting my nails, like really nervous. It was so tense and so fun. And uh, this game, if you watched Ole Miss, LSU, I'm not very interested in these two teams. Like, I don't think either one of them is going to be a college football playoff team. I'm not that fascinated with either one of them. So I don't, I just don't, I'm not emotionally invested. In fact, I was just, at the end, I'm I'm like rooting for, I want Ole Miss to have a long drive to take the lead. But then immediately once LSU had the ball and was in the red zone, I'm like, oh, now I want to see LSU score a touchdown and make it chaotic and fun. I had no skin in the game. But if you watch this game today, LSU, Ole Miss, you know. It was just fun, man. Back and forth, interesting. No idea who was going to win. Tip of the cap there. Now, there were two games during college football week five that were, I would call, heavily disappointing. 
On Friday night, Oregon State hosted Utah. Oregon State beat Utah 21-7. to And uh, I was sad because Utah quarterback Cam Rising did not play in this football game. He was He's still recovering from a torn ACL. I was hoping, man, but I watched Utah trot out two different quarterbacks during the game, kind of flip-flop between Nate Johnson and Bryson Barnes. Neither was great. And, uh, man, I, I, it's just... What can you say? You can't criticize Cam Rising. I mean, he's coming off of a torn ACL. He's doing the best he can. It's just disappointing. Like, I had hopes for this football game. Utah, Oregon State could be fun and exciting. And instead, it was like, ah, kind of a, just kind of a game that was grinding to a eventual end. Now, Texas beat Kansas 40-14. to I was so excited for this football game. Jalen Daniels, Kansas quarterback. Quinn Ewers, Texas quarterback. Fun quarterback battle, really good offenses, and Jalen Daniels did not play. He had tightness in his back early on during pregame, didn't play. Um, man, like the minute—I didn't even watch the game. I'm just telling you. I, I, I'm sure—I mean, their backup quarterback, Bean, is fine. But once I found out Jalen Daniels isn't playing, and I'm like, look, I got a bunch of other games I want to watch today. Not even going to pay attention to Kansas-Texas. And look, I was right. Texas won 40-14. to 14. Disappointing because I, I had high hopes for this football game, Texas beating Kansas, Texas playing Kansas. Both teams are top twenty-five teams, and ah uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm so sad Jalen Daniels didn't play. Two key quarterbacks, Cam Rising, Jalen Daniels, they didn't play during college football week five, and it had an impact to me. It it made me tune out and, and disappointed. I need some water real quick, and then I want to give a shout out to a college that actually recruited me when I was a high school football player. Um, and they did something. I didn't realize this. I, I got made, yeah, brought to my attention this weekend, but uh, we'll talk about it in a moment. I want to give a shout out to Colorado School of the Mines. They're a D2 school, an engineering school in Golden, Colorado. They actually recruited me in high school football back in the day. I remember sitting in the office talking to them. Um, here is why I want to talk about this little tiny Division II college football school. They have some of the best headshots I have ever seen in my entire life. I love it. Crazy fun personality. It's the kind of thing I'd love to see more teams do. Now, School of the Minds is really good. They're the number two ranked team in Division II football. They're 5-0. and They're the number two team in the country. Great for them. They're winning. So I think when you're winning, you can get away with fun headshots more easily. But like, shout out to redshirt freshman Owen Marnell. Did a Harry Potter impression. Kenny Wright is from Camus. Hell yeah. Camus in my division, the Greater St. Helens League. Played high school football against Camus High School. Uh, I just love this team having fun, showing their personality. I would love it if every college football team did this. Takes crazy headshots, dresses up in a funny way. Why not? What do you have to lose? It just shows your personality. It makes it more fun. Um, anyone who knows an engineer isn't shocked. Like, hey, a bunch of engineering dudes put away in a small town in Golden, Colorado, up in the mountains. Yeah, of course they would do this. And it's fun. It really, just going through these headshots brought me back to college, brought me back to the memories, the camaraderie. I was going through all their player bios. They're all from all over the country, and they've all come together in this little town in Colorado. Um, I don't want to talk any smack. Like, um, there's one player, I'm not going to say his name. I couldn't tell if he was trying to look goofy or if that was just his face, but then I looked him up. He's a computer science major. I'm like, hey, these are all really smart engineering dudes. They could wreck me. Uh, and so I don't want to, I don't want any shade. I just want to say the headshots are awesome. It's so much fun. Um, I would love to see this as a trend in college football. Like maybe next year when teams are taking pictures, 
can we all copy what School of the Minds did? It's fun. It's great. It's personality. It's cool. It's exciting. And I would love to see more of this in college football. Like, why do we take everything so seriously? It, it just would be great to me. I would love to see more of this personality from college football teams. Now, I want to shift gears real quick. I want to talk about Taylor Swift. I know that, hey, we're a sports show. Um, I, I I don't have a lot to say. I, I was very quickly sick of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey being in the media everywhere. But then they really sat on it. I talked about it. I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? Honestly... It's great for football. More people than ever are being brought into the NFL to pay attention to the NFL. Um, Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey, who I think Travis Kelsey is awesome. He's kind of like a like a gem. Uh, you know, it's it's actually a, a wonder he's still single because he's a great dude. Comes across like he's awesome. Got a fun side. He's got an edge, but he's also very um, – he seems wholesome to some degree. Um, and looking long term, I'm not sure how – Travis Kelsey's going to pan out. Like, once his, after he's done playing football, how's he going to transition into a career? But the good news is Travis Kelsey has a career doing a podcast. And I have heard from people who do it for their job that doing a podcast for a living is actually not a bad way to have a career. It's kind of fun. I've heard that from people who do podcasting full time. So, um, <laughs> I feel like that, that either landed or didn't. It was very clear. Uh, it's what's wild to me though, as, as I, I, I've been paying more attention to Taylor Swift. What's funny is a lot of Taylor Swift people are paying attention to football for the first time. I'm a non Taylor Swift person who loves football, who's been kind of brought into paying attention to Taylor Swift more than ever before. I'm not a huge, like Taylor, her music's fine. I remember, uh, like my favorite song by her is love story. The song where she's marry me, Juliet, like that song's amazing. It's great. Um, the music video is good. She's in her, in her room, like looking at the guy in the house next door. Um, but what I think I wasn't properly aware of, like to me, the NFL is this massive juggernaut. Thousands of employees, like tons of gener- you know, revenue generated, lots of fans all over the world. But I want to offer some perspective. Taylor Swift is like five times bigger than the entire NFL, like way more fans, way more eyeballs, way more people. Taylor Swift is one woman who is bigger than an entire league that is the NFL. I, I think I guess I knew that, but I never really thought about it until this all went down and Taylor Swift started dating Travis Kelsey. I don't know, man. The NFL is bet- benefiting financially in massive ways. Like Travis Kelsey jerseys are up 400%. Uh, the Kansas City game is ticket sales are higher. They are going for more. Um, there are 63% more female viewers to watching Kansas City games. Um, you know, there's like a bunch of new Instagram followers for Travis Kelsey, like 400,000 more people following him. Uh, new Heights is now the number one podcast in the world, uh, on iTunes and Spotify and everything. Uh, that's the, when a, frankly, a, a small cog of what is the NFL machine dates one of the biggest pop stars, pop stars on the planet. That's what happens. And I guess I never thought about it. Like I said, Taylor Swift is way bigger than the NFL, and it's actually good for the NFL to have new eyeballs and more people engaged than ever before because of Taylor Swift. Uh, And as I watched New Heights become the number one podcast, I was like, you know what? I got to find a way to date Halsey or date Beyonce. Maybe that would really help my podcast. Or I got to do like a pull a Kim Kardashian and put a a video out there of me uh, hanging out with Ray J doing crazy stuff. Was it Ray J? Was that his his name? Also, just, just imagine that for a minute. Me... 
doing what Kim Kardashian did to get famous. Could that work? Could that make me have the number one podcast in the world? I could do something. I'm not sure what I would do. Um, so anyway, I, I just, those are, people keep asking me what I think about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I think it's kind of hilarious that anyone's asking me what I think about Taylor Swift. Um, but there we go. That's a little bit like a, a brief segment. We've now talked about it. We've acknowledged it. And uh, truly, like, again, I don't think I didn't realize that she was way bigger than the NFL, but she is way, way bigger than the NFL. She's one person against the league that I spend my entire career following, and she dwarfs it. Like, maybe I should do a Taylor Swift podcast. There's way more people out there that would watch a Taylor Swift podcast. Kind of wild there. Um, I want to talk about Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is eligible to come off of the pup list on Monday, the physically unable to perform list. He's recovering from a torn ACL that happened in December last year. So Kyler Murray will be eligible to return on Monday, but he will not return on Monday. So Kyler Murray, it's being reported. He's still weeks away from being able to play football again. By the way, I have no idea what that means because the NFL season only has 14 weeks left after this weekend. So, uh, at least of the regular season. And I'm, I'm not convinced Arizona's going to make a deep playoff run. So, I don't know what to make of all this. I, I will say I'm really enjoying watching Josh Dobbs as the quarterback in Arizona. I love his personality. He does a lot of little stuff really well. He's working on his game. He's getting better. He's a great leader. I really like Josh Dobbs and I'm having a, a fun time. Enjoying him being a spotlight moment that he wouldn't have gotten without Kyler Murray being out and being injured. However, I'm still curious. It's kind of up in the air for me whether Kyler Murray is going to actually play at all this year. I, I know that Cardinals fans have pushed back a lot against me when I say that. Um, but I, I wonder, could playing hurt Kyler Murray's trade value? I, I'm not sure. If he plays bad, right now, what is Kyler Murray's trade value? I, I honestly don't know, but it's... It's where it is right now, and if he plays bad, it's going to go down and get worse. And are we sure that Kyler Murray is going to play well in a new offensive system without DeAndre Hopkins? You know what I mean? Like, I, I go, is it really smart if you want to get rid of Kyler Murray to play him at all this year? The question really is, does Arizona want to keep Kyler Murray? He's got a big contract. Um, they've got a new head coach. And I wonder, is Arizona considering drafting a quarterback if they're in a position to do so? How much do they like the Kyler Murray contract how much do they like the amount of money they have him under contract for there's a lot up in the air right now in arizona plus he's coming back from a torn acl people come back from a torn acl it's not like a torn achilles where it's really hard physically to be back where you were once before but right now i i have no idea what to make of kyla murray i just want to acknowledge he's not going to be coming back on monday a lot of other people will be coming off of the off of the pup list and really the only thing we know for sure about kyla murray in fact is that he's not coming back on monday we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know what Arizona really thinks about him. There's a lot of things hanging up in the air right now in Arizona revolving around Kyler Murray. Now, Von Miller, who was on the pup list, will be back at practice this upcoming week for, Buff for Buffalo. He was on the pup list, also recovering from a torn ACL. He tore his ACL at the end of November last year on Thanksgiving Day. So after coming back to practice... Um, Buffalo will have three weeks to activate Von Miller and, uh, putting him on the active roster would mean that, Hey, one of the guys on the 53 would have to go down and get cut, uh, which is unfortunate. Cause I mean, there's just not a lot of people you can, they're going to have to probably get rid of someone they like, uh, and risk having that player picked up by the waiver wire. 
Um, but regardless, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, it's great news. Von Miller is coming back. He's on a good timeline. Um, I, I'm in, if I'm a, if I'm Buffalo right now, I'm in no hurry at all to get Von Miller back. You'd love to have him. Great. But really, I just want Von Miller healthy for our playoff run if I'm the Buffalo Bills. Now, I guess, honestly, they're focused on getting there. I've already kind of ex- believe they're going to make the playoffs. They're probably, like, focused on, we got to make the playoffs to win in the playoffs. But I just would be worried, let's keep Von Miller healthy. Let's keep him on the field. Let's make sure he's good so that during their playoff run, he can make a really big impact and be a huge impact player. But also, maybe... Like, if, if Von Miller, for example, came back, like, week 16 or something and didn't play all year, is that good for him either? Probably not. Like, you probably want to be in football shape. You want to be uh, in the groove of stuff. Um, I just worry. It does, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I just, all I'm saying here is, I guess, that I want Von Miller to be available for their playoff run. And I hope he can be at 100% making a big impact. And if somehow this timeline he's on right now impacts his ability to be 100% in January, that's a problem. Von Miller's got to be 100% for their playoff run in January. I, I think that Buffalo, they're a team that their window's closing. I mean, they are, they're getting older. They're going to have a hard time keeping everybody together. I think Buffalo, this is one of their last years where their Super Bowl window is open with Josh Allen until they have to rebuild stuff a different way. If I'm Buffalo, I am terrified of missing out on that window. All right, we're going to talk about the NFL. The NFL um, as a whole, the NFL, the NFL made a change to their gambling policies. Uh, for NFL players, if you gamble on any NFL game, that's an automatic one-year suspension. The rules before were kind of ambiguous. Also, if you gamble on a team that your team, a game that your team is playing on, so if you bet on your own team, that's an automatic two-year suspension. If you gamble on non-NFL sports while at the team facility or on team-related travel, which team-related travel can mean a lot of things, on your phone, on the plane, on the... I mean, that's a that's ambiguous, I think, intentionally, the language-wise is ambiguous, that if I'm an NFL player, I'm not gambling at all. It's not worth the risk. Uh, now, your first violation uh, of a non-sports-related gambling incident is a two-game suspension. Your second violation of, again, betting on sports that are not the NFL while at a team facility or on a team-related travel, on team-related travel, your second violation is a six-game suspension. Your third violation is, at minimum, a one-year suspension, if not greater. They are revisiting um, what's going on, revising punishments to make stuff more clear. The NFL wants to have clarity and make things very simple. Their message is very clear. If you're an NFL player, do not gamble. Hey, just wait. I, I'm sure there's, I know there's times like, for example, in the off season, you go to Vegas in, I don't know, April, season's over, you're not betting on NFL games. Sure, you can theoretically gamble, but if I'm an NFL player, I'm like, I, I want my career, I want the money I can make playing football. I'm not gambling. I'm just going to wait till my football career is over. That's what I would do. If, my recommendation to NFL players, if you're, you want to have fun, find other ways to have fun, find other ways to do stuff. Uh, hey, play the stock market. The stock market's basically gambling, and the NFL won't punish you for that. So, in fact, I would say that gambling and the stock market, 1,000% the same thing. Um, <laughs> so, my point is, and that's going to make a lot of people, I'm sure, some somebody's going to be in the comments writing it. How dare you? Blah, 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 blah. You're, you're, you're guessing. You're hoping. You're right. Um, to me, it's not that hard. If you're an NFL player, don't gamble. 
one thing that's interesting about this is a new, that the new rules are effective on Monday. So, um, like, for example, the Titans got the right tackle back on Monday. He was suspended for six games. It's only been four. But instead of making him deal with the, the old punishment, they're saying, hey, we are updating all the rules, making them more simple, and we are effective. This is effective immediately. So another player that's going to benefit, Jamison Williams, the receiver in Detroit, who had a six-game suspension is going to be back on Monday because under the new rules, his suspension would only be two games. So very cool to see um, the NFL clarifying stuff, making everything very clear. It's not a case-by-case basis. It's like, here's a rubric. If you break these rules, here's the very clear punishment. And uh, in some ways, it's a little bit of grace for a player like Jamison Williams, who gambled last year, got in trouble, got a six-game suspension, they actually lightened the rules, so he's allowed to come back sooner. I would have thought the NFL is kind of a, a mean, evil corporate overlord. I'm surprised they didn't say, hey, Jamison Williams, we know we changed the rules, but we made your ruling before the rules got changed. You're grandfathered into the old rule. But NFL, in a rare move, was not a hypocrite, did the right thing, and uh, Jamison Williams is allowed to come back on Monday. That's very, very cool if you are a Detroit Lions fan. All right, uh, I got three more things I want to talk about today. They are not football-related, so let's be clear. I'm going to talk about the NBA, uh, baseball, actually. And if you hate stuff that's not football-related, I love you. Have a great day. It was fun to talk to you. I had a great time doing the show with you. I've still got three more things I want to talk about, though. If you want to hear me talk about more, let's go into it right now. First of all, NBA star Damian Lillard has been traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. He spent 11 years with the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, this got my attention because I grew up in Portland. A lot of my friends and family are Blazers fans. I never was. It seemed like a lot of pain and suffering I didn't want anything to do with. But I do find myself uh, as a guy from Portland originally, which it does make me uncomfortable. I don't claim Portland. I don't love it there. Not not my home. Um, I've got a lot of problems with that city. But I, I will say, as a guy from the area who still has family there, I'm going to go back there. I, I, I might have to move back there. We'll talk about it later. I, it doesn't matter. Um, as a guy from the area, I am rooting heavily for Damian Lillard. He tried for years to make it happen in Portland and win an NBA title. He never really came close. And I would love to see Damian Lillard host the trophy and win an NBA title. That would be awesome. And for a long time, Damian Lillard had this kind of old school mentality of, I want to build it in Portland. And, you know, it's a new NBA where people move around and switch teams and join each other. And he resisted that for a long time, always saying, like, I want to do it in Portland. Portland's home. I want to be here. Finally, this offseason, Damian Lillard requested a trade uh, after he, they, Portland said, we're going to try to build a championship winning team. They didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. So finally, Damian Lillard changed his stance and requested a trade. He wanted to go to Miami. That didn't work out. But he is getting traded to Milwaukee, who is a playoff team. They were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year in the NBA. Damian Lillard is 33 years old, and time is running out for him. Uh, I think Damian Lillard, part of his change mentality-wise was, look, I'm getting older. I'm 33. If I want to win a title, I got to get on it very soon. It's never going to happen here in Portland. And I applause him. I, I applaud him for finally recognizing that. Milwaukee's a contender. They won the NBA Finals in 2021. They beat Phoenix. That's a 2020-2021 season. They beat Phoenix. The next year, they got to the second round. Then last year, they lost to Miami in the first round of the playoffs. So there's work to be done. 
But Milwaukee's a really competitive, really good NBA team. And I'm really excited to follow a bit of what happens with Damian Lillard paired with Giannis. I mean, I don't watch a lot of NBA. I'm, I'm very open about that. Uh, I get pulled into certain storylines. Like, for example, when they built this horrible super team in Brooklyn, I was like, that's not going to work at all. I was right. It was fun. I don't cover a lot of NBA, but this is one of the things that I'm probably going to pay attention to this year. Here are the trade details. There, It was a three-team trade, Portland, Milwaukee, and the Phoenix Suns were actually involved as well. So Phoenix got Phoenix got Yusuf Nurkic, Nasir Little, and Keon Johnson all from Portland. They also got Grayson Allen from Milwaukee. So in order to make this trade happen, they had to include Phoenix, apparently. Uh, the Blazers got Drew Holiday, future draft picks from Milwaukee. So Drew Holiday, a point guard, and a center, uh, DeAndre Ayton from the Phoenix Suns, guy who played at Arizona. Interesting, good center. Uh, they also got forward Tamani Kamara. Um, and then Milwaukee, they lost Drew Holiday uh, and Grayson Allen. They also lost some draft picks, which feels... Got it. I got the, this fly. has been flying. It's a mosquito who's been biting me for days. <laughs> I got it, y'all. Although now I got to clean up. See, that's Hawaii. The bugs are crazy, and I killed them on camera. Um, so Milwaukee lost Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, and some draft picks. The draft picks feel irrelevant to me. It's the NBA. Draft picks don't really matter. Uh, Milwaukee got Damian Lillard. They, a lot happened. They didn't lose a ton. Portland actually, I feel like, gave up more than Milwaukee did, but um, other, you know, other than Damian, I guess they also gave up Damian Lillard. But Milwaukee gets Damian Lillard, so we get to pair Damian Lillard with Giannis, and we'll see what happens. It's going to be really fun. I'm really excited. Um, I would like to see Damian Lillard get a title and get the recognition I think he deserves as an NBA player. He did want to go to Miami. Portland seemed uninterested in helping him get there. Um, they didn't want to help him make that happen. It does feel sad to me. Like, if I was Damian Lillard, I would rather be a star player. If I'm an NBA player making millions of dollars, balling out, I'm face of the city, I would rather be a star player in Miami than Milwaukee for tax reasons alone, but also great weather, the beach. That sounds like a great life. Um, I, I do wonder what people will believe about this because Milwaukee uh, was the number one seed in the East last year, but they lost in the first round of the playoffs to Miami. Miami lost the NBA Finals. So if you're Damian Lillard, if you join Miami, you're ring chasing, you're taking a team that just lost the Finals, helping them. Would that get more criticism or will he get more criticism for going to Milwaukee? I'm not really sure how people are going to react across the NBA. Um, but I, I'm just really happy for Damian Lillard getting out of Portland. An impressive organization that you know didn't help him do what he needed. I, I, I remember the Portland Trailblazers says, Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, Neither could stay healthy. Damian Lillard came in. Um, him and CJ McCollum played together for a long time. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I like Damian Lillard a lot. I watched him do a lot of incredible stuff for the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, and I want to see the guy get a ring. That would be really cool. He's in Milwaukee now, paired with Giannis. That would be awesome to see them win together. I'm rooting for Damian Lillard very hard this upcoming NBA season. Here's some old news. It's been on my notebook forever, and I'm like, I gotta at some point talk about this. Now's the time. We have reached the end of the MLB regular season. The regular season ends on October 1st. Uh, I'm recording this on September 30th. So um, the LA Angels finished fourth in the AL West, 72 and 88. And uh, Angels star pitcher slash designated hitter, incredible phenom, phenom. Star, the, uh, star of the MLB, like the best player in baseball, is Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is set to hit free agency this offseason and leave the team. Um, 
Maybe he resigns in Los Angeles with the Angels. I can't imagine that happening. But what I want to say here, it's worth saying, I had, I've had this note since the MLB trade deadline came and went, but I was busy with football. I never had a time to talk about it. It was completely idiotic for the LA Angels to not trade Shohei Otani at the trade deadline. Get him on a contending baseball team that had a shot at the playoffs and get as much in return for him as you could. Prospects, build your, build your organization. Right now, it looks like the Angels are going to lose Shohei Otani to another team for nothing, when they could have traded him away and got at least something in return for Shohei Atani. And I wonder, maybe they're hoping they can keep him and re-sign him. I can't imagine that happening. Uh, I think the only argument is, well, we're close to Japan or on the West Coast, but so is Seattle. And I I think Shohei Atani is going to go to a really good contending baseball team, get probably the biggest contract we've ever seen in baseball. And it's just, again, I'm not an Angels fan. I don't even know anyone who is an Angels fan. But it's so obvious from an outsider's perspective, that's horrible mismanagement. You should have traded away Shohei Otani at the trade deadline, got whatever you could for him, help your organization be better for years to come. Instead, they kept him and they're going to lose him for nothing. That's horrible management in my opinion. All right, I want to end the show today with this. Uh, It'll be complicated to read as I'm realizing now. I saw a post on Instagram. This was reposted by uh, the Instagram account Jukedly. Juke with a D and then L-Y. And uh, it, it's a little too close to Musical.ly for my taste, but uh, I think Musical.ly became TikTok, if I'm accurate there. I, I really don't know. Um, what, what, this was, what was posted on Instagram, though, was a post, a picture of Chad Johnson at his Ring of Honor ceremony in Cincinnati. And he's wearing a Jamar Chase jersey. Now, I want to read you the post because this person on Twitter said this. It's a repost of something someone said on Twitter and screenshot it and put with an image of um, Chad Johnson wearing a Jamar Chase jersey, talking to Mar- J- Jamar Chase. But here's what this person said. Imagine Shaq going to a Dwight Howard game, wearing his jersey and showing him love instead of what he's done his entire career. The damage that former players and the NBA media have done to the casual fan's mind will never be undone. I don't love going after Shaq. Um, I think you're kind of picking the wrong target there, but let me read you the rest of the statement because the the, the kind of... The subtweet here is that the difference between the NBA and NFL is that NFL legends embrace the new stars and the NBA legends kick down every new player and just tell us how their era was better. That is why the NFL is better than the NBA, and that will never change. I wanted to talk about this briefly. It's worth talking about to me. I think it really starts with Michael Jordan. The benchmark of a legacy NBA player is a selfish, egotistical asshole, to be totally honest. I'm not a big fan of Michael Jordan. He punched his own teammate. I I get it. He's an incredible basketball player, was an incredible player. And many people, uh, I think I'm one of the few people who think it's a debate between him and and LeBron. uh, And I find what LeBron did more impressive, actually, as a leader, as a guy who bounced around, had a lot of adversity, um, who played at an incredible level for such a long time. Regardless of what you think on that debate, I'm not here for that debate. What they're talking about is that former NBA players are selfish and push other people down rather than celebrating the new generation of NBA players. That's why I think going after Shaq for this isn't right. Shaq is awesome. I love Shaq. Um, But when I look at the NFL players who were the best at what they did and the way they've given back to the game, Ray Lewis, Tony Gonzalez, Chad Johnson, Deion Sanders, Tom Brady, um... 
so there are so many examples of Barry Sanders in Detroit wearing Jameer Gibbs jersey, celebrating Jameer Gibbs, talking when they draft a new running back in Detroit. Barry Sanders is there to celebrate. And and part of it's because the culture in the NFL is more team-based. It's more community-based. It's more we rather than me. The NBA is so much about me and the spotlight. And uh, it's a huge disconnect. Part of why I love the NFL is the way that team culture is and the way that you support each other. And I love the way that NFL legacy players, the best who did what they did, Ray Lewis again, Deion Sanders, giving back at Colorado right now, coaching, helping the next generation of young men. I feel like we don't see very much of that in the NBA where guys are aloof and millionaires and they're so rich and they're so beyond whatever and they're selfish and they're in their little ivory tower. And uh, I just, I saw this post and thought it was worth talking about and A, pointing out and it's saying, I agree with this statement that it's a huge problem in the NBA that people are so aloof and uh, pushing other people down. But I also want to talk about that. I love that in the NFL, there's a culture of celebrating the new generation and uplifting people and... um seeing someone like Chad Johnson wearing a Jamar Chase jersey rather than making it about him in a moment that is entirely about him. It's his ring of honor ceremony in Cincinnati. He's wearing someone else's jersey celebrating a current player on the Cincinnati Bengals. I love that. That's beautiful. That's amazing. And that's part of why I love the NFL. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Um, I don't know. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to watch a... I'm very tired. It's uh, late here on a Saturday night. Watched... Way too much college football today. Uh, wrote all day. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to record. I'm going to put this out. I'm going to go right to bed. At 3.30 in the morning, which is disgusting, it's 8 p.m. here in Hawaii. 3.30 in the morning, uh, there's that Disney Plus game with the Jaguars and Falcons. I got to watch a little bit of it, but then I'm going to go right back to bed and wake up at 7 a.m. for the early morning NFL games. I love you. I appreciate you. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow for sure. We always do a Sunday night recording. But I'm just proud. I got out an episode here on Saturday, a Saturday night recording. It'll come out Sunday morning for East Coast time. I love that. That's amazing. I love you. I appreciate you. Have a great day, and I will talk to you later. Bam, we are done.